So uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to talk to you about grounds for answered prayer. How do we approach God when we're praying for something that we need, whether it's individually or for our family? And what mindset or grounds do we approach Him? We're going to start by looking at Luke 18, 9 through 14. Uh, This is from the Passion Translation. Jesus taught this parable to those who were convinced they were morally upright, and to those who trusted in their own virtue or, that's, or, or righteousness, yet looked down on others with disgust. Do you know anybody like that? Well, just think about what we're reading, because this, this is the people who he's talking to. Jesus taught this parable to a specific group of people, to those who were convinced they were morally upright, to those who trusted in their own righteousness, yet looked down on other people. Do you know them? Poke your neighbors and say, they're talking to you. <laughs> I was just playing. <laughs> I heard Bill Johnson say that one of his speeches the other day. I thought it was hilarious. But anyway, <laughs> anyway um, verse 10. Two men went into the temple to pray. One was a proud religious leader. The other a despised tax collector. The religious leader stood apart from the others and prayed, How I thank, I thank you, O God, that I am not wicked like everyone else. Wow. They are cheaters, swindlers, and crooks, like that tax collector over there. God, you know that I never cheat or commit adultery. I fast uh, from food twice a week and give you a tenth of all I earn. If you were God, how would you like to hear that prayer? You're like, you might as well just become God then. I mean, you just get it all figured out. You got, you just, you, you're all that. Uh, anyway, um, the next guy, verse 13. The tax collector stood alone in a corner away from the holy place and covered his face with his hands, feeling he was unworthy even to look up to God. Beating his breast, he sobbed with brokenness and tears, saying, God, please, in your mercy and because of the blood sacrifice, forgive me, for I am nothing but the most miserable of sinners. The Greek text uses the word here that implies he was saying to God, look at me as you look at the blood-sprinkled mercy seat. I love that. So it's, that's what that word implies, that look at me the same way you look at the blood-sprinkled mercy seat. Verse 14, which one of them left for home that day reconciled to God? The humble tax collector? No, the humble tax collector, not the religious leader. For everyone who praises himself will one day be publicly humiliated, and everyone who humbles himself will one day be publicly honored and lifted up. Now, we say, uh, we read this story and we know it's, it's kind of obvious like which one's praying a, a good way and not so good way. But we can sometimes, without realizing it, pray th- just like this Pharisee. We look at other people, we judge their lives, we judge them based on, well, at least I'm not as bad as them. So God must you know, answer my prayer because I'm here. And this guy's way down here and he got this prayer request answered, so I must be able to get mine because I'm... We, we never would say that out loud like this Pharisee did. But we sometimes get those thoughts in our mind. So, so my question is, when we come to God for prayer for something, when we need something, which is we're going to need things in life, how do we come to Him? How, what should our approach be? On what grounds should we come to God for our prayer requests? And today I want to share three stories with you from the Bible, with three different stories of how three different women approached Jesus for a healing. So it's, we're gonna, the point is answered prayer, but healing is an easy way to, in the Bible to find it for a way of answered prayer. But each one was different. Well, I want to show you how each one of them approached God and received what they needed in prayer. The first one is found in Mark 5, 25 through 34. 
It says, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, If I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you ask, Who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, uh, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be free from your suffering. This poor lady had suffered for 12 years with bleeding, and this bleeding would have made her ceremonially unclean. She would not have been allowed to be out in public. She would have had to quarantine herself away from people all the time for 12 years. We've, we've had to quarantine some over the last year and a half or so. She's had to do it for 12 years. And um, doctors tried to help her. She paid doctors all this money. And even though the doctors treated her with all these different kinds of treatment they had back in that day, uh, even though it didn't work, they still charged her. Have you ever been there? <laughs> they still charged, even though it didn't help. Uh, they're practicing medicine, right? We're the guinea pigs. So they're practicing on this lady. It didn't work. They still charged her. They charged so much she didn't have anything left, and she didn't get better. She actually got worse. And now, not only was it worse, but she was actually now broke. So uh, she basically, the doctor sent her home and said, we've done everything that we could. I'm sorry, you're just going to have to suffer with this the rest of your life. You're going to suffer with bleeding issues, and you're going to have to isolate yourself for the rest of your life. This woman would have went home just hopeless and helpless, like, what do I do? What, what am I gonna, this is my life. This is what my life's going to look like forever. But then one day, uh, she heard about Jesus, and her hope was restored. Do you remember that day for your life when you heard about Jesus, and your hope was restored? She heard about Jesus, and for the first time in forever, I heard a song about that one time, the first time forever, a Frozen song, I think. Anyway, um, <laughs> sorry, I got some squirrely stuff in it, but anyway, first time in forever, this woman, <laughs> anyway, she pictured her life without this, this disease. For the first time in for a long time, she pictured her life that maybe I don't have to live out the rest of my days like this. Maybe I could get back in public. Maybe I could to the town square or to the town market and pick up some food without uh, having to get someone else to do it for me. And so she hears about Jesus, and she ventures out into the crowd. She wasn't supposed to do that. She was unclean. Uh, she sees Jesus across the way, and she starts pressing through this crowd to get to Jesus. She's squishing her way through. Every person that she touches while she's squishing through, she's making them unclean. Because Leviticus 15, 15 says that uh, if you touch somebody who's unclean, they're unclean. They have to take a bath. They have to wash their clothes, and they're unclean until that evening. And uh, she's not walking through the crowd yelling, unclean, unclean, get out of my way. Because she was trying to be sneaky about it, right? That's why she got behind Jesus and just touched his garment. She didn't want anyone to know what was happening. So she was on a stealth mission, if you will, to get in there and not tell anybody. But she was making everybody else unclean, except for one. This unclean woman came in contact with Jesus. She just touched just the, just the bottom part of his garment, just the little things that hang off the garment, just touched that and poof, the power of God went through the clothing, went through his, his anointing, through his clothing, through her body, and instantly her bleeding was stopped. 
And when she touched Jesus, she didn't make Jesus unclean. The power of God in Jesus made her clean. Amen. Amen. And guys, when we touch Jesus, we get clean. Amen. He's the one that does the cleaning job. So um, that's the first story. We'll mention more about that in a minute. The second story is from Luke 13, 10 through 16. On a Sabbath, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues, that's a church, and a woman was there who had been crippled by a spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not straighten up at all. When Jesus saw her, he called her forward and said to her, Woman, you are set free from your infirmity. Then he put his hands on her, and immediately she straightened up and praised God. Indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, the synagogue ruler said to the people, There are six days for work. So come and be healed on one of those days, not on the Sabbath. The Lord answered him, You hypocrites, don't each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or donkey from the stall and lead it out to give it water? Then should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 long years, be set free on the Sabbath day from what bound her? Amen. I love this story too. This woman was just showed up at church one day. I don't know if she knew who the guest speaker was. I don't know if she knew Jesus was going to be there or not. But for 18 years, she could not look, hardly look someone in the eye because she was so hunched over. She, was just, she just had to walk like this. She was, it says she was crippled, and it wasn't by an accident. It was crippled by a, a spirit. And it, her crippling, she could still walk, but she couldn't walk up straight. So she shows up at church one day, and Jesus was there. I don't know if she heard about him. It doesn't say if she did or she didn't, but she was there. And while Jesus is preaching and teaching the word, all of a sudden he sees her. He says, woman, come here. He wanted to make sure this was seen by everybody, not off to the corner. He was like right here in front of everybody. He probably knew it would take him off, and I don't think he really cared, to be honest, because he loved the woman more than uh, he cared about what the Pharisees would think or not think. So first thing he does, he says, woman, you are set free from your infirmity. What did he do? Right there, he dealt with the spirit part of it. It was a spirit of infirmity. When he said that word, when you are set free from your, your infirmity, the demonic spirit that was causing her to be like that left her. And then Jesus placed his hands on her after that, it says, and she was able to straighten up. I'll tell you a quick story about that. It's, I wasn't planning on telling it, but I had a similar situation once. And my brother and I were ministering to a lady in his church in Ohio. And uh, <laughs> this lady uh, had just lost her fiance, she had a really rough life, just really rough life, and my brother asked me if I would pray for her. I was like, sure. So we're meeting downstairs in his church, and we're just talking, and my brother's ministering to her, and I'm listening, and I hear the Holy Spirit say, do not touch her. And I'm like, okay, and I'm thinking, I wonder why he said that, and I looked her in the eyes, and all of a sudden, I'm like, oh, I could see it. Her eyes shifted in a way. I mean, I know you guys act like you don't know what I'm talking about, but you know what I'm talking about. I'm just saying. Everyone here has had some kind of encounter with a demonic thing. You just have. We just haven't talked about it that much, but we do. And this woman's eyes shifted. They became really beady, and it got intense. I'm like, don't worry, Jesus. I will definitely not touch her. <laughs> I'm like, I'm thinking like she's going to beat me up if I touch this lady. And I didn't know the principle of this. First, sometimes you take the spirit first, then you lay hands on, like Jesus did here. So anyway, when it was my turn to pray for her, I bound this spirit, commanded to loose her, let her go, and then we laid hands on her and prayed for her, and God touched her and healed her. She had some physical issue with her, her ankle, I think it was, and God healed that and things. But um, Jesus rebuked these disciples. They got mad. I mean, anyone who, we have a healing happen in our church, we would celebrate, right? No matter who it was, especially someone who's been bound for 18 years. First lady, 12 years. This lady, 18 years. I mean, she couldn't even walk right. 18 years. And then Jesus sets her free, and they're angry. 
And he said, you hypocrites, you hypocrites, you untie your ox, your donkey, every single Sabbath, you lead them over there to get water. And should not this daughter of Abraham, who has been bound by the devil for 18 years, be loosed from what bound her and brought to the living water of Jesus? Amen? Amen. All right, that's the second story. Third story, Matthew 15, 21 through 28. Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Cana came from that region and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. He, he, but he answered her not a word. But his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed or delivered from that very moment. Amazing story, amen? Amazing story. In each of these three stories, these ladies were all in desperate need of help. And there wasn't a help any human being could do. The doctors tried. The doctors did things. They could not help that lady. But they needed help from God. And how did they receive help? How, what were the grounds on which they received healing? Well, I want to show you this. The, uh, with each of these three ladies, the, the third lady was actually the only one who asked for help. Remember, the first lady, she just took it. She didn't ask Jesus' permission or anything. She just squished through the crowd, reached out, and she just took it. Okay? Some reason she believed she could do that, and she was able to do that. The second lady, she, I don't even know if she knew Jesus was going to be there that day. We don't know what sermon Jesus preached that day or anything like that. But she was just randomly called out of the service, up to the front, was prayed for and, and set free and was healed. So she didn't ask for healing. But the third lady, she did ask. She asked for deliverance for her daughter. She asked and she asked. She begged and she begged. Uh, she was rejected and ignored, and it wasn't, didn't seem like the answer was going to be yes. She asked the first time, Jesus ignored her. Then they started asking the disciples, hey, you help me. Hey, Peter, you help me. John, you help me. Hey, you help me. And then they're like, Jesus, will you send this lady away? She's driving us crazy. Just send her away. If you're not going to help her, send her away. Imagine if you were that woman, you have to get by now, like, maybe they're not going to help me. Maybe the answer is no. Maybe it's just not God's will for this to happen. But this lady would just not take no for an answer. And so she just kept asking, and Jesus said, no, it's not right. Uh, um, I was sent here only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. There's rejection again, and rejection again. And she keeps asking. She gets right in front of Jesus, so he can't take another step, kneels down in front of him, starts worshiping him, and says, Lord, help me. He couldn't even take another step. He said, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. And she said one of the most amazing faith statements that a human has ever spoke. I mean, every time I, every time I read, I'm just like, whoa. Yeah. That woman had some serious revelation of who Jesus is. Amen? And she said, uh, yes, Lord. Didn't argue, yes, Lord. But even the little dogs get the crumbs that fall from their master's table. She said, I don't need the whole loaf. I don't need you to make me a special loaf of bread. I just need a tiny crumb that falls. They can have all they want, but surely one of them is going to drop a crumb. That's all I need. Amen? 
Just like the first lady, she just wanted to touch just the bottom part of his garment. She just wanted a crumb. And when she, got the, when she said that, he said, Woman, great is your faith. And said, Let it be done to you according to your faith, according to what she said. And that, uh, their daughter was set free that very hour. Now, what's the difference here? What's the difference in these three stories? Why was the first lady would just reach out and take it, just take it? Why was the second lady called out of the service and she was healed? And then this third lady, she seemed to have to beg and beg and beg. Well, uh, the first two ladies were actually Jews. The first two ladies had a covenant with God. Jesus called her, said, said, daughter, your faith has healed you in the first story. In the second story, the lady with 18 years, he, he said, should not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, who Satan has bound very long, uh, 18 long years, he set free and bound her. So the first two ladies, they both had a covenant with Jesus. They both had a covenant with God. The third lady, she did not have a covenant. She was a, a Gentile. The Greek, uh, Mark's version in the Greek says, um, says she was a Greek, which means she's a Gentile. So she had no, uh, no grounds to approach Jesus for her healing because Jesus was sent for the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Gentiles were grafted in after Jesus' resurrection. So there wasn't a covenant for Gentiles at that time. And they didn't even know there was a covenant for Gentiles until the 10th chapter of Acts, you know, when Cornelius house. So, uh, but her faith, her persistence, her I'm not going to take no for an answer, her, her faith caused something that was for a future covenant and pulled it into the right now. I love that. Bill Johnson said this, I think best. He said, um, her faith showed Jesus what the Father was doing. Faith comes from God. And she took from a future covenant that which hadn't been provided yet. Remember, Jesus only did what he saw the Father doing. He only said what he heard the Father say. So when he hears this woman speak, he's like, clearly God, is, my Father, has given this woman faith. I mean, this is not faith from man. This is not manufactured faith. This is faith that comes from God. And she had it. And so her faith was able to pull from a future covenant, not even established yet, into a covenant, uh, into that moment right then, and get healing and deliverance for her daughter. Amen. So... And Jesus saw that faith, he knew. So even though she wasn't a Jew, because she believed in Jesus, remember she called him Lord, she called him Son of David, she's saying, she's saying, you're the Messiah. She's calling him the Messiah. She was able to take from a future covenant that hadn't been established yet. I love that. So if, if she could take from a future covenant that hadn't been established yet, and said she only needed a crumb, how much more should we be able to take from the covenant we now live in when the healing is the children's bread? It belongs to us. And in context, it was deliverance. But, but it, it, deliverance, healing to Jesus, it's all the same thing. Amen. So I believe there's a lot we can learn from these three stories. But the biggest thing I want to point out that is, that is God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. He has always communicated and ministered to people in the Old Testament and the New Testament through covenants. That's how he relates to man. He always has done it that way, and he always will do it that way. God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God, and you now have a covenant with God through Jesus. Amen? amen. This is not the first time you heard that, so I mean, I'm like, amen? Maybe you have forgot about it, but in the Old Testament, God made lots of covenants with man. He made a covenant with Adam, made a covenant with Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, made a covenant with King David. There was lots of covenants, but in the new covenant, there was a new one made. And this new one was much better than all the old ones put together. It's much better. It was better, found on better blood, by a better high priest, by better everything. I thought it was better. And um, God made this new covenant with Jesus 
for you and for me. He didn't make the new covenant with you, and it's now founded on everything you do. If you do it well, you'll be blessed. If you don't do well, you'll be cursed. That's what it looked like in the Old Testament. That's not how it is in the New Testament. In the New Testament, God the Father made a covenant with Jesus, his son, and now we're the benefactors of this covenant because of what Jesus did for us. He stood in as our, as our, our go-between, our substitute in this covenant process, and now we get to get, receive the blessings of that because Jesus is Lord, and because he's never going to sin, he's never going to fail, this new covenant will never be broken. It, you can't break it. You can't break it because he didn't make it with you. He made it with Jesus. And now we receive the blessings. We're benefactors of that because what Jesus did by faith in the covenant. Faith what Jesus did for you and for me. Amen. Every time we pray, no matter what we're praying for, we need to approach God on the grounds of the covenant because God honors covenant. He always has and he honors will. Always will. He honors blood. The blood of the covenant. I want to show you an example from the Old Testament of just how seriously God honors covenants. In the book of Joshua, God orders the Israelites not to make a covenant with anyone that lived close by. And the surrounding kings feared Israel, and they allied together to have, make battle plans against them. And then they realized they couldn't win, so they come up with this other plan. We'll pick this up in Joshua 9, 3 through 15. However, when the people of Gibeon, so there's the Gibeonites, the people of Gibeon, heard what Joshua had done in, to Jericho and Ai, they resorted to a, a ruse or some kind of trickery. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. The men uh, put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore, out, wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp of Gilgal and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, uh, but perhaps you live near us. How then can we make a treaty with you? But we are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. We, we have heard reports of him, all he did in Egypt, and all he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, and Shihon, king of Heshon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in whatever you call that word, Ashtaroth, um, whatever. All, and our elders and all those living in, the, in our country said to us, take provisions for your journey and go and meet them and say to them, we are your servants, make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left for, to come to you. But now see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that were filled with, were, filled, were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals are worn out by the very long journey. The men of Israel sampled the provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Huge mistake there. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live, and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by an oath. So these Gibeonite men knew that they weren't going to make this covenant with anyone who lived close by, so they made a trick. They were going to deceive them, trick them by having these old wineskins, old uh, shoes, old clothes, all dirty, worn out stuff, moldy bread, old wine. And they were going to go and pretend they came within a very long distance and make this tree with them so they would live. And without asking of the Lord, they, they did it. I wonder how many times we do that sometimes without just inquiring of the Lord. But they made a mistake. They were foolish and didn't do that. Verse 15 says, Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. 
and the leaders of the assembly ratified it by an oath. So three days later, they found out these guys aren't from far away. They're from just down the road. They realized that these guys lied to us. They tricked us. They're not from a long ways away. They're from really close. I need a Kleenex. Um, How's that for live stream? <laughs> hey, Mom. Still love me, Mom? Okay. Uh, I was trying to hold off as long as I could, but I needed one. <laughs> so these men, they, uh, they knew they weren't going to make this covenant with them if they knew they lived close by. So they tricked them and made the, put on old dirty clothes. They put on, uh, made their donkeys look all dirty and their horses all dirty, old saddles, old bread and wine and everything, and tricked them. And without asking God, they decided to make this covenant with them. Well, three days later, they found out that this covenant was not based on truth. It was all lies. So I would think if you found out these men tricked us, these guys lied to us, uh, we're going to kill them. We're going to kill them all. We're going to slaughter these guys. How dare they lie to us? We're the children of God. You know, that's, that's not what they did. They honored the covenant because they had a covenant to let them live. The covenant let them live. They still honored the covenant even though it was made under false pretenses they still honored the covenant. And you know what? God still honored that covenant. Even though they didn't inquire of the Lord, even though he told them not to make covenant with anyone close by, God still honored that covenant. I'm going to show you this. And uh, let's fast forward 400 years. We're now in 2 Samuel 21, verse 1. During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. So David sought the face of the Lord. The Lord said, "'It is, it is on account of Saul and his, his blood-stained house.'" It is because he put the Gibeonites to death. The Gibeonites were the same ones they just made the covenant with before, with moldy bread and with old wine and all this kind of stuff, with, with lies and deception they made this covenant with. And now God was punishing them 400 years later because Saul did not honor this covenant that was made through lies and deception. Now Saul may have thought, oh, these guys tricked Joshua. I'm going to avenge them and, and kill all these guys. Maybe he thought he was doing a good thing. But if he thought that, Saul didn't understand how serious God honors covenants. It's made with blood for a reason. And the blood was spilt for a reason because the blood ratifies or seals this covenant. Yes. The same way Jesus' blood ratified and sealed our covenant we have with him. Amen. So if God is going to honor a covenant 400 years later that was made with, under false pretenses, was made with moldy bread and old wine and lies and deceptions, how much more will he honor the covenant today that was made through the, by the blood of his own son? 2,000 years later, 2 million years later, whatever it is, he's going to honor the covenant. God is a covenant-making and a covenant-keeping God. So when we approach to God, we come to God and request for prayer, for healing, or for anything, we don't come like the Pharisee did that we talked about in the first story, giving God our spiritual resume. I've done this, I've done that, and I, I you know, this guy, I tithe, uh, I tithe, I fast twice a week, I do all these things. Or and today we could say, I go to church, I go to Sunday school, I've taught this, I've been the pastor, I've all, done all these things. Our spiritual resume is not going to impress God. It doesn't matter if you've healed the sick, raised the dead. It doesn't matter what you've done. Your resume is not the thing, the grounds that you approach God with when you're coming to him for prayer. Amen? It's the grounds of what Jesus did, not what we did. Amen. Think about Matthew 7, 22. It says, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not drive out demons and perform many miracles? And those good works did not impress God. 
They were still good works, but you, can't, you don't go to God with your spiritual resume. You go to God with Jesus' resume, what Jesus did for you. You can't go to you know, the pearly gates. They tell those jokes about getting to the pearly gates and stuff and the stories and whatever. But you go, you know, when you get there, you don't say, hey, I taught Sunday school. Hey, I did this. I healed the sick. I raised the dead. I cast out demons. I prophesied. I did all these things in your name. It was like, big deal. So what? Everybody can do that. Did you know me? Did you know me? When you get there, if that, that does happen, which I don't think it will happen anyway, but if it does happen like that, you want to say, hey, let me in because I know Jesus. You talk about what Jesus did for you, not what you did for Jesus. Amen? <laughs> it's a huge difference. So I, I, we need to uh, talk about what Jesus did for us, not what we did for him. So we don't receive things from God on the grounds of our good works or merit. We receive from God on the grounds of the covenant he made with Jesus on our behalf. They gave Mephibosheth, Jonathan, and David. They want to show kindness to Mephibosheth for Jonathan's sake. It's the same thing. God wants to show kindness to you today and mercy to us today for Jesus' sake. It's what he did, not what we did. Amen? So again, I'm going to say this in closing. If the lady, the Gentile lady mentioned earlier, could pull from the future covenant, you know, by her faith, how much more can we pull from that covenant that we now live in because of what Jesus did? Amen? And if God honored a 400-year-old covenant was founded on lies, deception, moldy bread, and old wineskins, how much more will he honor a covenant that he made through his own son in the body and blood of his own son? That's something he's never going to forget. He's never going to forget that. And so, guys, we are, we are sons and daughters of the covenant. We have a covenant with God. Sometimes you might not feel like it. Sometimes you might not feel worthy of this or that. That doesn't matter. And even if it was made with moldy bread and deception, once the covenant was made, it's made. And the covenant has been made. You may have messed up. You may have failed. I have. We have. We all have. But Jesus, our high priest, is never going to mess up. And his sacrifice is good enough. Is the sacrifice is good enough? It makes us worthy enough. It's not about us, what we can do, ever do. We could live millions of years and never do enough for the Lord. Amen? It's what he did for you. So when you pray, when you approach God, don't approach him like the Pharisee did. And you don't even need, if you're already born again, you don't even need to approach him like the tax collector because you're not there anymore. You're not the sinner anymore. You're now a saint. You can approach God now on the grounds of the covenant. That guy was giving his life to Jesus. That guy was asking for forgiveness of his sins. If you haven't done that, you need to do that. But if you have, we now approach the throne room with boldness to receive mercy, not a punishment, not a spanking, not a reprimand. Amen? Come on, right? Boldly approach the throne of grace to receive help and mercy in our time of need. God is for you, not against you. Amen? And you have a covenant through with, with God because of Jesus, and it was ratified with Jesus' very own blood. The strongest source of anything on the planet. Your covenant is irrevocable. It's immovable. It's, you can't break it. It's based on him and not you. We are just benefactors of the covenant, amen? In the same way when King David killed Goliath, think about this, all the men on Israel's side got the benefit because if, they, if he lost, they were going to become their slaves. You remember the story. In the same way when King David killed Goliath, all the other army were benefactors of this, the victory. We're now benefactors of the victory that Jesus did when he cut the head off the devil for you and for me. When he disarmed him, he defeated him, he dethroned him, he took his power and dominion from him, and it was all given back to Jesus. We're now benefactors of the kingdom and this covenant because of our hero, Jesus. Amen? Yeah. 
Amen. So I just wanted to remind you that we're going to talk about this for a few more weeks because I think sometimes because we don't come from, um, you know, Eastern culture, we don't always think in terms of covenant. We don't always think in terms of kingdom. But in, in God's economy, in God's way of doing things in heaven and earth, it's through covenants, it's through his kingdom. It's through the foundation of what he did for us, not what we do for him. And we, we come to him basing on, on our, what we've done. Our faith is, I mean, what we've done, our faith is going to be just dwindled right down. If you had a good day, you'll be in arrogance like the Pharisee. If you had a bad day, you'll, you'll have a, the opposite effect. But every day you can be consistent because it's what Jesus did. That's how we approach the throne of grace, not on our merit. Amen? Amen. And when we receive the love of God, it will transform us. So when you pray, go to God on the grounds of the covenant. Remind the Father of what Jesus did for you. The Bible says, remind ye me. Remind him of the covenant, not remind him of your stuff. Amen? Amen. Will you guys stand? I want to pray a blessing on you guys. Uh, someone asked, Debbie asked me to pray for Tony Clark. He's a pastor down the road struggling with COVID and also um, something with his blood clot in his lungs. His lungs. Okay. So we want to come to God right now and any other prayer requests we have on the grounds of the covenant. I don't personally know Tony. I, I think I met him once. But he's, a, he's a brother in Christ. Amen. He's part of the family of God. Many of you guys know him. And we want to come to God on the grounds of our covenant. Amen. You know, when we talk covenant, instantly faith fills the room. Do you notice that? And we talk about ourselves instantly, faith <laughs> leaves the room because we can't do it. But Jesus did. So if there's anyone else you guys know of right now, just you can speak out a name, whether I know them or not. We'll pray for them all at the same time. Someone you know that's battling Laura something. Taylor. Laura Taylor? What's going on with Laura? She's bad cold. Okay. Flu. Chest congestion and stuff. Okay. Your sister? Okay. All right. Anybody else? What was her name again? Brandy. Okay. Laura, Brandy, and um, t Tony. Who else? Susan. Yes, Susan. Yes. Amen. Okay. All right. Well, Father God, we come to you now on the grounds of the new covenant, on the grounds of what Jesus did for us. And we just remind you of the covenant. And God, we just intercede right now. We stand in the gap on behalf of our friends and our family members of this house and our community that have been sick with COVID or colds or um, whatever's going on with Susan. And Father, we just command healing to manifest in their bodies in Jesus' name on the grounds of the covenant. We reach out and we take it in Jesus' name. We take it like the woman with the issue of blood. We just take it because you are good and your mercy endures forever. Just declare over Susan right now, be healed in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus, whatever that thing is, is benign. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, boom. In the name of Jesus, whatever that is, is benign. Shrivel up, disappear, and go in Jesus' name. Yes, Lord, and and Laura Taylor, Brandy, and uh, Pastor Clark, be healed in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. We bless their lungs. We bless their oxygen levels. We just bless them and their doctors. 
and their medications. We bless them in Jesus' name. Supernatural protection. We pray for a release of angels even right now to go and minister to them and make them strong and stay there with them until they're strong, until they've turned the corner and, 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 rec and recover from this. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Yes, God. Does anyone else in the room need uh, prayer for anything that's here today? So I just want to say this as we close. I discern, I hope you can too, that the spirit of truth is in this room. The spirit of truth. Our relationship is absolutely based on Jesus. 100%. And it's faith in his name that made the lame man walk. Remember? Faith in his name made the lame man and Acts walk. It's faith in him. So God, we just give you all the praise and glory for what you're doing on this planet, what you're doing in this house, what you're doing in the bodies of those we prayed for. We thank you for supernatural healing that's released to them and their bodies recovering, 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 getting stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And God, we pray for this service tonight. I pray there be a mighty move of your spirit with the teenagers here tonight from all different churches and different people that are coming. You would bless them, encourage them, and strengthen them. They would have encounters tonight with your love. And they would know the love of God that surpasses knowledge. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.